Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, about seven years ago, when my wife and I still lived in New Mexico, it was a, it was a Monday morning, probably going into the afternoon, and we were at the local zoo. We had this cute little free zoo that we went to. And, and like I said, it was a Monday, so it must have been a, a holiday or something because we were both working, and, and so we must have had the day off. And so we were, we were at the zoo just kind of making our way around, and all of a sudden, we saw this other young couple, and they were staring at us. Now, that's always uncomfortable, but you kind of assume if people are staring at you, there's a reason. Most of the time, I assume it must be because they know me. And so we started looking at them, trying not to draw too much attention that we noticed them staring at us. And all of a sudden, we see that they were gesturing, right? They're talking about us. It was very, very, very obvious. And so we started looking closer, and we realized that we did not know who these people were. Well, once we started looking at them, that gave them their opening to walk over to us. They walked over to us, and they said, hey, are you the pastor who preached at Grace yesterday? Grace was my, my old church that I served at in New Mexico. And, and I reluctantly said yes. Now, the reason I say reluctantly said yes is because that sermon that I just gave the day before, it, it was a train wreck, right? It was a train wreck. And sometimes that happens as pastors because sometimes what we do is uh, we get up here and we think we have something really important to say. We have something really life-changing to say, right? And we have an interesting way to present it. And we are certain that everyone will love it. And then we get up here. We're going through the sermon and we rise very quickly by the faces we're looking at that no one is connecting. No one thinks it's interesting and no one's life is changed. But sometimes we get up here and we go home and we're so disappointed in ourselves because it was poorly communicated, right? You stutter through it. You just, it just doesn't feel like it connects at all. And almost every time that happens, the Holy Spirit is still at work, praise the Lord. Because someone will come up to me and they'll say, that sermon changed my life. And I'm thinking, how, right? How? I don't think it made sense to me and I was the one giving it, but that happens probably far too often. But this couple came up to me and, and it was one of those moments. I, I said yes, reluctantly, because I was honestly pretty embarrassed about what had happened the Sunday before. I was looking forward to redeeming myself at a future Sunday. I was actually wearing a, a baseball cap really low with sunglasses on because I was trying to not let anyone from church recognize me so I could just kind of go about my day. So they came over, I, I said yes, and they said, look, we had such a great experience at church. Thank you for the sermon. We're looking forward to coming back, which I was, of course, shocked, just like normal when that stuff happens, when it uh, doesn't go as planned. So anyways, they invite us to walk around the zoo, and we, we walked with them. In fact, we did a behind-the-scenes tour because I, I knew the zookeeper, which allowed us access to places we really should never go. By the way, if you ever get a chance to get up like this far from the face of a mountain lion, even if there's bars in between, that's terrifying, and you probably shouldn't do it unless you're a thrill seeker. 
But anyways, we, we walked around and we became close friends with this young couple whose name was Warren and Barbara, right? And so as time went on, we got closer and closer. We'd spend time at their house. We would spend time at, at our house and we just grew in this friendship. And as friendships that we have, as we grow in them, we get to know people better, right? We share more of our story with them. And as time went on, Warren shared his story with me. You see, he had undergone a transplant in high school because one of his kidneys had, had failed. He didn't go through the transplant. He just lost a kidney when he was in high school. And so they removed his kidney, and, and they thought that had resolved the problem. Well, he, when he got into college, the other kidney began to fail. And so to save his life, they had to remove the other kidney. And if you know anything about science, you know that you cannot survive without your kidneys and so the family was desperately looking for a kidney to save this young man's life. And so they started looking through the family tree, trying to see if anyone was a match, and no one was a match, except for his dad, who was a partial match, but there was a, a major problem. When they did all the health tests and the EKG before the surgery, the doctor said, we can't do this. Right? He's too high risk to give you his kidney. If this happens, he's going to die. Well, Warren doesn't know the whole story, but somehow his dad got a little bit closer to people at the higher level and basically communicated to them that, hey, we're going to do this transplant, right? I'm going to take the risk. We're going to do this transplant. We're going to save my son's life. Now, obviously, you know the rest of the story because I was talking to this guy, right? So you know that his life was saved, but his dad also made it through. Now, as time went on, I got the call to come here to New Life Lutheran in Sterling, Illinois. And so, as you know, if you've ever left a place, you tell your closest friends first. And so I told Warren, I said, uh, guys, we're going to move. We're moving to Illinois. We're going to move specifically. We're going to move to Sterling, Illinois. And, and he started laughing at me, which I thought was weird, right? When you lose a, a close friend, you shouldn't be like, you shouldn't find it humorous. You should, you should find it kind of like, you know, should be sad, right? I expected a tear, not a giggle. And, and so... I looked at him and he said to me these words that at the time made no sense. He said, oh, do you want some chicken, George? <laughs> now, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I know we think chicken, George is the big deal and we know, we think that everyone knows about it, but no one knows about it besides us. <laughs> right? It's not like people in New Mexico are having big, long conversations about chicken, George. So I'm like, first of all, you know, what are you talking about? He said, you're joking, right? I said, no, I'm not joking. We're going to move to Sterling, Illinois. He said, I grew up in Sterling, Illinois. You see, for anyone who's gone through a, a transplant, for anyone who's had a heart attack, for anyone who's been in a car accident, for anyone who's just stopped and thought about just the fragility of life, we ask ourselves some pretty important questions. Many times we say things like this, why me, right? Why am I still alive? And when we wrestle with these questions, it brings up more questions, doesn't it? We, we think things like, why was I even given the gift of life? Why did God design me the way that he did? What is my purpose? Or as a father, this is one I, I wrestle with, and, and if you're a dad, you probably have wrestled with this too. As you're holding your son or as you're holding your daughter, you're thinking, why or how could God trust me with this precious soul, this precious being in my arms? 
You see, how we answer these important questions is, is directly connected to what we believe. Because what we believe, it shapes our lives, right? Which means if, if you believe, right, if you have the general Christian belief that God loves you, created you, pursues you, empowers you, transforms you, that you will answer this question very differently than the rest of the world. So we're still left with our question. Why you? Why are you here? Why did God make you the way that he did? What is the point of everything? Well, today we're gonna find out the answer to that very important question through the words of the Apostle Paul. This is how he begins. He says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So he starts off with this word. He uses the word weak which of course implies kind of like a sickness and an illness, a helplessness. The bottom line is weak people, we, we cannot help ourselves, right? There's nothing that we can do. So this verse, when Paul talks about these, he's, he's taking a physical reality that we are used to and he's, he's mixing it with a spiritual reality, right? He's, he's tying it to the ungodliness of sin. Which means what Paul is saying is that, that Jesus died for people who were engulfed in sin, right? Every bit of their being was, was corrupted by sin, right? All sorts of sins, like gossip, lying, divorce, right? Fairly normal, normal things in our culture. Things that are a little bit worse, right? Assault, looting, doing drugs, right? Jailable type offenses. How about this? Pedophilia, murder, racism, right? Sins that it make our skin absolutely crawl. If you can name a sin, dream up a sin, think of a sin, Jesus died for it. Which of course draws that question back out, which is why? And, and why me? Right, it doesn't make sense. I mean, do you know me? Do you know my thoughts? Do you know what I've done? Do you know my life? Right, why would you do that? But that's what's so amazing about God. Before you did even anything remotely good, Christ died for you. Let's be honest, it, it's hard to even fathom this type of dangerous territory that God walks in. But this is what Paul says, and this is where Paul gives us hope. He says, while we were still weak. Now, obviously, when he says this, there's an implication of growth. There's an implication that we will get stronger. There's an expectation of transformation. You see, that is the, the normal and natural outcome of taking up Christ that is offered to come follow me, right? When we follow in Christ's footsteps, we, we experience that transformation. So here's where Paul goes next. He says this, indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. Now, I, I like this part. I like this part because this is where Paul gets uh, really at the core of our humanity, right? This is where it makes sense to me, right? This is the human part of the conversation. I mean, the first part, honestly, doesn't sound anything like me, and it probably doesn't sound much like you, but here's something I can comprehend. Here's something I can find myself in. Here's something I can hold on to, because this is the normal human response, right? Paul says it. He says, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, and we all get this. Right? Even if you don't believe the Bible, even if you're not a follower of Christ, 
You get this. If you have to choose between your life and even a righteous person, right, which is a fancy way of saying you've done everything right in your life, right, even if you have to give up your life for someone who is perfect but you don't know them, that's going to be a tough sell, isn't it? Right, that's going to be a challenging thing. And as Christians, we, we really get this. Because as we look through scripture and we look at our lives, we see this in our daily lives because we are called daily to die to our sins to show our love for Christ. And day in and day out, we fall. And this is the struggle. We are, we are called, the struggle is to die to our bad habits for the person who died for all of our bad habits. But Paul, he, he ends with kind of a, a more gentle tone. He says, perhaps, right, maybe at best for a good person, someone might actually die, which of course is correct, right? We actually hear these stories on the news, right? Under the ideal circumstances. If it is your child, you might be willing to die. If you love that person very deeply, you might be willing to die. If you are paid maybe to be a bodyguard or a cop, you might be, might be willing to die. If all the stars align, you might, but still, these are rare stories, right? This is a rare experience. These are rare moments because our natural human leaning is self-preservation. But this is not how God operates, right? God operates very differently. Listen to this. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to know the story of the Bible, it's held in these two words. But God. The story of the Bible is the contrast between the way humanity naturally works and how God naturally works. But God just didn't die for the righteous people or even the good people who he has a close relationship with. It says he died for everyone, people like you and people like me, that would only consider giving up our lives if all the stars align and someone shoots the gun and I trip and I fall in front of the bullet, accidentally save someone's life and become a hero. But God is very different. God intentionally jumps in front of the bullet for us to honestly save a life that the world probably would be better off without, with all the sin and corruption that we bring into it. So Paul continues with some good news. Much more surely then, now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? So why did Jesus die? He, he died for one purpose, to place his perfection on us. You've probably heard it this way though. We don't normally talk about it in that way. We normally say something like this. Christ died so he could be in a relationship with you or you can be in a relationship with God. And I, and I love, that's a great way to explain it because that's exactly what it is. But that actually comes with some problems. Because if you have kids or if you had parents or if you're a grandparent, you know this and you've said this, right? You, you tell your kids not to hang out with the, the bad kids, the bad influences. And you tell them this because their behaviors naturally rub off on your kids, your grandkids, right? Your parents didn't want those behaviors to rub off on you. And so we give them that warning because this is the human condition. We become like those we are around. But God wants to be in a relationship with us. And we are fallen and broken. And you can almost hear his grandma saying, don't hang out with them, right? They're gonna make you bad. They're gonna corrupt you. 
And this is the whole tension. That he wants to have a relationship with us in this life that extends all the way into heaven, which is the place of perfection. And here's the issue. Imperfect things can't go to a perfect place because they will make that place imperfect. So what must Jesus do? He has to place his perfection on us. So how does he do this? He gives up his life, right? He gives up his life and this removes God's wrath from us. But to be clear, even though God's wrath is removed, it doesn't remove God's correction because these are two very different things. It's very important to know this because we experience correction in this life when God uses moments and experiences in our life to, to recalibrate us often through these hard times. And have you gone through some hard times where God has recalibrated you? Right, maybe the loss of a friend or a challenging time at school or whatever it might be where, where you had to seek God because there was no other option and God used that moment to recalibrate you. Right now, I feel like maybe all of us are in that moment. Right, we can't, we can't get away with anything in 2020. Right, whether it's a, a pandemic or the next thing or this racial unrest where people have done some horrible things. And just when we think we survived that, what happens? Somehow a hurricane comes through Illinois, doesn't it? And God grabs our attention because he wants us to turn to him, because he wants to recalibrate our lives to him. But here's the thing. It's very important because when we go through these hard times, we need to understand that God has not promised us a perfect life. But he hasn't promised us a perfect life. And that's why we keep experiencing the things that we keep experiencing. But he has promised us a perfect eternity. So Paul moves on. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, so much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. Now, at this point in time, Paul is sounding pretty redundant. And I'm gonna use a metaphor here. Ladies, just hang with me, okay? I promise to make it up to you. Paul kind of sounds like the nagging wife, doesn't he? He kind of repeats himself over and over and over again. But why is he doing that? Now, this is where the ladies get their chance to win the conversation, right? He's saying it over and over again because he really wants us to get it because obviously we didn't get it before. So he keeps saying it over and over and over again because he really wants us to get it. He wants you to understand that before, before, you were God's enemy. But now, you are part of his family. So how does he do, it? How does he do this? He, he gets you into his family through his life. And for the Jewish listener in that day, that would make absolutely perfect sense. It's harder for us today, honestly. But the Jewish listener would really get it. And even the people who understood some general principles of the faith of the Jewish people, of the Hebrew people, they would get it because they saw the big temple and they would, they would hear the noise of the animals. And they'd see these people go in with the animals and walk out without animals. You see, they would sacrifice these animals. They would shed their blood. The animals would die to pay for the sins of the people. And so when Paul said these words and when they read these words in that context, it made perfect sense to them. For us, I think a better, a better way to understand it is probably that idea of a transplant, right? Someone dies and then you have the gift of life. Or someone puts their life on the line, whether they're high risk or not high risk, you know it's still tricky, right? They know they're still potentially not gonna make it off that table and they give you the gift of life. And then this brings us into 
God's family. And this is a huge shift. It's so important because family is family, right? Family is very different from the rest of the relationships that you have because it is a place where relational restoration is always supposed to be available. It's always supposed to be available. And in God's perfect family, relational restoration is always available. So, with this great gift, what are we supposed to do? Right, that's kind of a tension. If we're gonna get all of this, what are we supposed to do? Because it seems like Jesus is doing all the work and the answer is absolutely he is. Right, he does all the work. But there is one thing that Paul points to. One thing that we should do, this is what he says. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have received reconciliation. So what is our role from this amazing gift and being a part of God's family and the sacrifice that Jesus did? It's boasting, which is a weird word for us because boasting tends to point to us, right? We boast about ourselves, it's all about us, but we see obviously here that's all about Jesus. So I wanna do something for you. I wanna kinda twist that word a little bit in a way that's easier to understand. I wanna use the word celebrate. Right, our natural response when something good happens to us or, or someone does something good for us is celebrate. Have you been to a store recently, and it's probably like every store you've been to recently, and you go to Taco Bell or you go to Kroger's or whatever, and, and you get the receipt and the person helps you, and they say this, if you've had a good experience, fill out the survey and put my name. Right, I bet you every one of you has, has heard that, right? unless you've had only bad experiences, then they tend not to actually tell you that, right? No one wants to say, hey, if you've had a crummy experience, please put my name on here and give me a zero star review. Right, they want the five star review, they want their name, they want the bonus, they, they want that advertisement because here's the bottom line, with any business, any group, the best advertiser is you, right? It's word of mouth, it's always been word of mouth. It's people sharing their experience. The same thing is true about God. God's best advertisement is you. But here's the thing, and this is really important. It's not about you convincing people about why they should be a Christian. It's not about you convincing people why they should be a Christian. Even though there's a place, right, we are, we are called to have an answer. We're supposed to have intelligent conversations about these things when people engage us with those things. But it's not about that. The starting point for Paul and the starting point for us is to celebrate why you are a Christian, right? To celebrate why you are a Christian. Don't miss that. So why do we celebrate? What we celebrate is actually recorded in the creed. Now, if you've been here for a while, of course, you're very familiar with it. You have it memorized. If you went through confirmation, you have it memorized. If you're, if you're new to a Lutheran church, this will be new. But this is something we say week in and week out, right? Look at these words. This is a celebration. We say this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, what we celebrate in that ancient creed is that God is always in pursuit of us. The reality is this, that Christ's sacrifice is supposed to do so much more than to just save your life. You see, he pursues you so you can pursue others. 
So I'm gonna bring you back to the story that we started with. Remember Warren, right? The Sterling kid that came to Mexico, became my friend. You see, his life was saved because of a transplant. And because of that transplant, he was able to get married. He was able to have kids. He was able to become my friend, which probably wasn't that big a deal to him. But later on, something really impressive happened in his life. You see, Warren didn't have his own kids only. He started fostering kids as well, which to me is amazing. Families he fostered to me, that's just amazing. To give up space in your home, to add to your family. I mean, two is more than enough for me, I can't imagine, like just <laughs> choosing to add more into the flock so quickly. They started fostering these kids and then they adopted these kids into their family from a very difficult situation. You see, Warren continues to make a real impact in this world. And why? Because of sacrifice. A sacrifice from one person, a gift from one person to give life to another person, but it has so much more than that. Right? He didn't just give life to his son. His son then gave a life to these kids. So, why are you here? Why does God save you? Why did God sacrifice his son for you? Not only so you could be saved, but you could save and pursue others. Let's pray.